Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Good morning. It is Tuesday, February 2nd, and you are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. In just a second, we're going to break down the Senior Bowl from over the weekend and which college football players saw their stock rise, and we're going to do that with Emory Hunt, a college football color commentator. But before we do that, got some news to get to. I recorded an episode, I uh, recorded yesterday's episode a few days earlier with Steve Wolfong. It was a canned conversation, and then I recorded my intro to that on Sunday afternoon, just a quiet Sunday afternoon. I had assumed, and I thought it was a safe assumption, nothing else would happen the rest of the day. Sunday evening rolls around, and bam, the shoe finally drops. Eric Gilbert transferring to Florida. Been waiting for weeks for Eric to do something. Sunday night, Eric? Come on. Um, it is, This is huge for the Florida Gators. We, we thought it would be impossible for them to replace Kyle Pitts, and maybe Gilbert won't be that immediately, but he was the top rated tight end in the history of the top 247 rankings for a reason. And he was plenty good at LSU as a freshman before he opted out of the last two games of the season. He caught 35 balls, 368 yards, two touchdowns. This is huge for Florida. Uh, Dan Mullen has not been recruiting as well as the fans would like him to. Borderline top 10 classes year in and year out. But when you add talent through the transfer portal that Florida has been able to add and think about it, it's, it's not just Eric Gilbert. It's Demarcus Bowman, the five-star running back from the class of 2020 who transferred from Clemson after two weeks. It's Justin Shorter, the number one receiver in the class of 2018, never did much at Penn State, transfers to Florida. He's their leading returning receiver now. It's Brenton Cox at defensive tackle. He was awesome in 2020, Georgia transfer at one point. The year before that, Jonathan Grenard from Louisville transferred to Florida, played really well in 2019. That's what Florida is doing. That's been the recipe. I, I don't think this moves them above Georgia in the SEC East. They've got to get quarterback figured out between Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. But this is this is just simply a huge addition for the Florida Gators. And in the last 18 months, as we finish this note here, Gilbert is their fifth five-star to be added via the transfer portal. Fifth five-star for some perspective. And, th- and this note comes from Chris Hummer, our colleague at 24-7 Sports. Only five teams in college football had five or more five stars on their roster last fall. Florida added that many guys through the transfer portal the last two off seasons. I'm hoping to do a, a big Florida episode later in the week on Eric Gilbert and Dan Mullen and the recruiting grumblings and, and why the transfer portal is being kind of just what he needed to silence any sort of critics about his roster management. And then before we get to Emory Hunt, again, Teddy Bruschi was hired by Arizona and new coach Jed Fish as the senior advisor to the head coach. Bruschi was an All-American at Arizona back in the day, currently works as an ESPN NFL analyst. I watch him on Sunday NFL Countdown. It's unclear if Bruschi will remain with ESPN and how much time he will spend in, in Tucson for his new role, but I like the idea of Jed Fish getting the Arizona band back together, the Desert Swarm. I like the idea of him him making Arizona kind of what it once was after it seems like it's gotten off the rails the last few years under Kevin Sumlin and Rich Rodriguez. All right. 
anyway, without further ado, let's let's listen to what Emory Hunt has to say about the Senior Bowl and the players who improve their draft stock. Emory, in addition to his work with CBS Sports on CBS Sports HQ, he is the founder of Football Game Plan, which is a great YouTube channel. Uh, one of the earlier ones, he told me he started it in the late 2000s, uh, it's 2009, talking about college football. He's a former college running back at Louisiana Lafayette. You can follow him on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. It's a great conversation. Talked about uh, the quarterbacks. We talked about Ian Book, Kellen Mond, Sam Ellinger, Felipe Franks, Jamie Newman. We talked about a few other skill players too. Good running back. He caught his eye, a few receivers as well. So we're going to take a really quick break and then we're going to talk to Emory Hunt. The College Football Daily will be right back. All right, joined now, as promised, by Emory Hunt. Emory, before we get started or dive into all the names we want to discuss today, could you just tell us why the Senior Bowl is important and why, in a year without an in-person combine, it was even more important? Well, it's always important, and I think it's even more so important this year, but I do think it's important because you get to really perform in front of scouts. You know, how often do you have the opportunity uh, as a player to really get out there in front of your future employers and perform at your best? Again, some of the best competition. Now, some guys, they face really good competition week in, week out, if you're talking power five guys. But for a lot of the guys, the FCS, the D2, the D3 guys, some NAIA players, you're really getting an opportunity to, to go out there and prove that you can compete at the highest of levels. Um, and what a better way to do so than a week-long practice, day in, day out, rep in, rep out against some of the best around the country. So it's an important aspect and it's an important event for the scouts this year in particular because not many scouts got an opportunity to go see games live. It was more of a lottery system this year as opposed to your standard, you know, apply for a credential and go out to a game. So many scouts, this was their first opportunity to see guys up close and live. I thought it was cool too, even though they didn't play, uh, that Mac Jones was there, Najee Harris was there, Devontae Smith was there. It showed how how they respect this game and, and they weren't about to skip and they showed up in Mobile for the interviews and all of that. And, and I watched the game on Saturday and I think the best part of it from my vantage point is seeing all the all the helmets of the college football teams and players. And and at this point in, in the in the offseason, I'm starting to miss the game a little bit. So it, it, it's always fun to see the logos and, and a lot of familiar faces. And we'll start with the game's MVP, Kellen Mond. I don't really know if he's an NFL quarterback, Emory. I don't I don't know if if you disagree with me, but it, it seemed that he found his footing as the game went on and and maybe in culmination with a strong week of practice, he he ended up impressing more people than I figured he might. Yeah, he's one of those guys, man, that you watch play over the course of his time at AM, at Texas AM, and you wonder, you know, he's productive, but what is it about him that's kind of missing? And I just think that at times he's a little bit robotic, uh, but as far as the physical tools, I mean, goodness, you know, the arm strength, the the uh, velocity that he throws so he can fit footballs anywhere he wants to on, on the field. And that comes in handy inside the red zone. You see a guy, let's say like a Josh Allen, who's able to hone in inside the red zone and really fire a football in the tight windows because that's all the red zone is, is tight window heaven. Um, so you have to be able to, to throw the covered guys and put it to where you want it to be with some velocity. So that's why we've seen him excel there. I think for him is more about stop thinking too much out there on the field. I think he plays like he's thinking too much, wanting to make the perfect play every time instead of just playing loose. If you're able to play loose, you're able to play free and you play a lot more fluid than what he's showing out there. But he has a talent. He has a skill set outside of Johnny Manziel. Like they mentioned in the broadcast, this dude has virtually every passing record at AM. If not first, he's second. So that's 
huge at that program for Kellen Mond. So, yeah, he definitely has a, a, a home as a pro quarterback. I think a, a common complaint among college football fans and even some Texas A&M fans was that Kellen Mond in Jimbo Fisher's system was square peg, round hole. But do you think having to learn that system and, and play with, within the constraints of what Jimbo Fisher is asking you to do will end up helping Kellen Mond more in the NFL than what some of the other spread and air raid type quarterbacks uh, are going to experience? Jim Fisher quarterbacks have had their successes in the NFL. They come in a little bit more prepared uh, than, than most. And I think playing under Jimbo Fisher is a great thing for Kellen Mond, but also shows that he's coachable. He's been under two different schemes you know, at Texas A&M, but also has shown that he can play well in both. And he's going to take a coach to really unlock his athleticism because that's the other part of his game that he can you know, be a, a benefit to an offense at the pro level. All right, so North Carolina's backfield this year was sick. In addition to Sam Howell, the quarterback, and a few awesome receivers on the outside, they had Javante Williams and they had Michael Carter. Uh, Michael Carter was a senior, so he played in the Senior Bowl on Saturday. Javante Williams, he uh, declared for the draft after his junior year. These guys could be top five running backs taken. What about Michael Carter do you think we need to know? Because... A little bit uh, throughout the 2020 season, Javante Williams was getting most of the buzz, and I think it's clear that we all slept on Mike Carter. I've been talking about Michael Carter since the you know the summer when you watch him play, and and people always focus on the wrong things when they look at a lot of these prospects. Instantly, they focus on well, he's not that tall, not that big, but every time you watch him, he's not getting touched, you know. And there's a zillion guys in close proximity to him that's not touching him. I think that's the mark of an elite talent at tailback. So for Michael Carter, being able to beat your own blocker, so to speak, because of his elusiveness and footwork, being able to get out of a jam, to me, that's what you want uh, as a pro back. You you don't want someone like his teammate who's talented, explosive, has good speed, uh, good run power, but he runs into virtually every defender he, he can find. That's not going to help you last long at the pro level. You got to be able to make guys miss and, and develop some you know elusiveness if you're if you're his teammate, Williams. But for Carter, he already has that. It reminds me a lot of Daryl Henderson in that regard. This is a guy that explosive. He has the the footwork that's necessary. He sees front side to back side with vision, and he has that top tier uh, explosiveness that you want at the pro level. Yeah, while we're on running backs, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, Emery, have you locked in your RB1 for this year's draft? Or are you still thinking about it? I, I have it pretty locked in. It's, it's Najee Harris. And, and, you know, it's funny to watch Najee Harris just evolve, you know, over the course of his time there. And so has my comparisons for him have evolved. First, it was Steven Jackson. And then it was, man, he kind of is a little bit like Matt Forte. And now I'm stuck on Deuce McAllister. So he, all three great backs. So he's definitely in good, co- in good company with either comparison you want to throw at him. All right, Keith Taylor. This is a Washington defensive back, a Husky that you mentioned before we hit record. Looks like Jimmy Lake did it again, right? This kid's six foot three. Uh, maybe, you know, he's got some technical things to clean up, but that's all the size you want. And it feels like Washington does this almost every single year since a big, lanky, long limbed cornerback to the league. What do you like about Keith Taylor? It, it, you named all the attributes <laughs> that you like, man. And, and the fact that he's coming from a program that seems to put out some outstanding defensive backs and not just defensive backs in terms of in general, but press corners, guys that can play man up on an island by themselves. And we saw him do that in the game. And I think it's important to realize, yeah, the Senior Bowl is an important week. It's a, the best week out there for prospects to perform in front of scouts, but it's, it's stressful. 
And that's by design. So when you get to the game, the game is less stressful than practice, in my opinion. So guys out there playing to their ability. And that's what we saw him do in the game. He has the length that knows how to play with that length. Some some guys just tall for the sake of being tall and don't know how to play at that height. But he plays like a guy that's 5'11". And he's coming from that program um, where you have good matchup defenders. You know, we can go back to Peters and, and work our way forward uh, with Murphy and all these other guys that Taylor Rapp is a really good matchup safety. So if you're coming from university of Washington, being coached by Jimmy Lake, I already know what I'm getting. And in this edition of a Jimmy Lake prospect, I'm getting a tall lanky corner with good ball skills as well. So before we get to a few other quarterbacks, I'm going to throw one guy at you. We didn't re- we didn't touch on in our show notes, but I, I saw you tweeting about him. Des Fitzpatrick of Louisville was awesome. Six catches, 90 yards. And I, I think he was definitely overshadowed. We talked about some of these other players being overshadowed and, and Michael Carter being overshadowed by his backfield teammate. But when Tutu Atwell's on your team and in your receiving room, you're just not going to get that much buzz. But Des Fitzpatrick in a short year at 43 catches, that's pretty pretty dang good. This guy's 6'2", 210 pounds. He looked like he's going to be someone's starting receiver next year. Yeah, and it's funny when you watch him play, you're right, because when you see Tutu Atwell, and I think everyone tends to focus on Tutu Atwell, just for justifiably so because he's you know he's shorter he's you know he's a little bit more explosive and it just looks cool because he's a short dude dominating but on the other side Fitzpatrick is one of the more savvy route runners you're going to find a guy that finds a way to get open both man versus man and versus zone we saw in the game the senior bowl how well he was able to operate and working back to the quarterback and you know working himself free from tight coverage which is always something that you will have to do at the pro level because nothing you're never going to just blow by someone unless it's a busted coverage. But for the most part, he's technically savvy, technically sound, good player, productive player, and has been so over the course of his career. So he has, you know, the productivity. He has the, you know, the technical skill set because you don't you don't really get the opportunity to learn technique in the NFL. You better come into the in a league having that technique. Um, and he already has that along with talent. So he's going to be a really good pro for a long time. We saw five quarterbacks in the game. Uh, it would have been six, but Mac Jones did not play because of injury. We already mentioned Kellen Mond. A few guys on the national team, I think, worth discussing. Ian Book, the stats don't blow you away. Five for 11, 48 yards. But of course, he put enough on paper to... You know, I, I think you you have your opinion of Ian Book and and whether uh, he's a guy you you you'd want on your team or not based on what he did in college. Emory, where do you stand on that? You know, I like Ian Book. Ian Book reminds me a lot of Jeff Garcia. You know, a guy that just when you look at him physically, you just like, eh, I don't know, man. You know, I don't know if that that could be the guy, but you know, you get him out there and you play. And you're like, man, I can't play without this dude. I need this dude on my team. And you know, we saw him just get significantly better each and every year at Notre Dame. And this year was his best season and and uh, culminating in a senior bowl appearance. And, you know, he looked really good all season long throwing the football. We know he was an athlete. We know he could scramble. But his efficiency in the passing game, uh, being able to escape while not just escape for the sake of escaping, but to extend and find targets downfield. Uh, he was really great in situational football. So he put together his best season 
in his last season, which just made people go back and look at his film uh, and, and, you know, take notice of the growth and take notice of the fact that this dude has a pro future and could definitely uh, blossom to something special. The entire national team of quarterbacks was kind of a motley crew of guys you throw, throw into the bucket of good QB, no idea about the next level because you've got Felipe Franks, who was once a, a top 100 recruit, signed with Florida, transferred from Florida to Arkansas. And then you've got Sam Ellinger, who went four for 10 in this game, um, looked all right and seemed to kind of regress as his Texas career wore on. Throwing in book into that mix with with Franks and Ellinger, just generally, like how draftable are these guys? Or, or do you expect maybe they could get jumped by a, a small school guy who at this point of recording, I haven't heard of? Because I, I, I just, having watched these guys, all of them for as many years as we have now, I just don't know if either of them is an NFL quarterback. Well, I think this is a good year for guys like Ellinger and, and, and Felipe Franks uh, because one, there's no small school guy to really contend, you know, to jump up and, and take some of these spots because a lot of the small schools are playing in the spring. And also when you look across the NFL landscape, I think this year kind of showed the last two years, to be completely honest, that you better have someone stable as your backup quarterback. And so I think when you look at Book and you look at Franks and you look at Ellinger, Ellinger reminds me a lot of Chase Daniel, someone that can be solid for you, what helps him out which really helps out any offense that NFL teams are now starting to notice is that you need athleticism. You need to be a plus one in the run game. Ellinger in the red zone is a plus one in the run game. Good zone read quarterback. And he has gotten better, I think, from, uh, you know, in the, in the passing game aspect every year. Uh, he's efficient. And so, you know, he doesn't have the, the arm talent that you want. But if you're expecting him to go in there and help you win maybe two games to fill in while your starter is out. I definitely think he can do that. So we saw uh, across the board, there needs to be an upgrade at your QB two spot or even your QB three, if you carry three at the NFL level. So guys like Franks and Ellinger and book, you know, definitely have a role at the pro level. I thought about ending our quarterback discussion with Jamie Newman, who was actually looked pretty good, but Emory, I don't really want to torture Georgia Georgia fans who who probably would have been making the playoff if Jamie Newman was a QB. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, think about it. And you and I feel bad for Jamie Newman because he took a jump last year based off what he did the year prior. And it was like, okay, cool. He's going to go to a different offense because that run offense at Wake Forest is kind of unique. It kind of slow played the zone read, just weird type of offense. So we we're going to see him in a, in a brand new offense that's tailor-made for his skill set with better options along the perimeter and also in the backfield, this should be the ideal fit. And it just didn't work out because he left because of COVID reasons. And, you know, people will judge his week at the Senior Bowl unjustly because, again, he hadn't played ball all season. And this was his first live football action since the summer. I think he's going to be better moving forward. He's a tremendous prospect, has all the, the physical tools that you want. Um, he just needs experience. So someone is going to get him in the mid-rounds, and they're going to get a guy that's a mold of clay with some work-withable skills, and it, they're going to find themselves having that player that has that upside. I think in terms of how, and I know they were different in college, but I'm talking about the uh, opportunity that one got at the pro level. And uh, you talk about Colin Kaepernick at Nevada. He was prolific at Nevada, but he had a lot of the same physical tools that Newman has. Strong arm, good athlete. Uh, but he got the opportunity to go and he went in the second round, went to San Francisco with a guy that has some athleticism in Alex Smith and really got to groom on the finer nuances of, of the position before getting thrown out there. Newman is of the same caliber as in terms of what he needs to really hit the ground running. So he's going to go into mid rounds. Someone's going to get themselves a gym and, you know, with the right coaching staff, 
he's going to prove to be a value find uh, wherever they draft him. What could have been for Bulldogs fans. Emory Hunt, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Emory for joining us. I never had him on this podcast before. I'd been following him on Twitter for a while and watching him on CBS Sports HQ. We'll definitely have to get him back on. If you're listening today, it's signing day eve. Tomorrow is National Signing Day. Finally, going to put a bow on the class of 2021. If you need more info on that, 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast, Blair and Gulo. That's a podcast to listen to. We had dueling Steve Wilson fung episodes on monday i felt pretty good about mine i think blair's was a little bit better um so go ahead and, and check it out and while you're doing your apple podcast subscriptions and downloads or wherever you get your podcast just want to say thanks for all the all the love on the college football daily it's been the downloads have been really good generating a lot of momentum we just got our 300th review someone named krypton barton said uh five stars and the only podcast putting content like this rain or shine so i don't know who you are krypton barton that sounds like a mix of like a, if barton simmons di- dove into the cryptocurrency but we appreciate the love and we're excited to be back tomorrow for an episode featured around national signing day talking about classes that are outliers for good reasons and bad with andrew ivan so stay tuned for that my name is trey scott our producer is lance clint thanks again to emory hunt talk to y'all next time